Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening, everybody. Um, Welcome to tonight's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Christina Namath, and I'm the travel director here at the club. I have been here for 11 years now and have really enjoyed being here and watching the club travel program grow and getting to know so many of you. So thank you for coming out tonight. I know there are many of you who have traveled with us and a lot of you who are here to learn about traveling with the club. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, the, the Commonwealth Club has had a travel program since the 60s. Um, long ago, if you go through the Commonwealth Club magazine archives, which are pretty fascinating, actually, you will see ads in there for a two-week trip to Europe for $800. <laughs> um, and back then, the club would rent, a, there was a chartered TWA jet, and that included your air. And most of the trips involved, you know, at, the, at that time, the club was only open to men, so it was often uh, groups going over and meeting with business contacts and things like that. So a lot has, of course, changed in the travel industry, with the club, with our membership, and, and so our club travel program, of course, has changed a lot, too. Uh, today, we run about 25 trips a year all over the world to domestic locations and then international places. Uh, our group sizes range from 8 to about 28 people for our land-based programs. And then, of course, if we're on a cruise ship, we're on board with a lot of different other educational groups, and it depends on the size of the ship how many people will be there. So it can be up to 190 people if we're on a, a ship that's about a 200-passenger ship, and then down to 50 if it's a very small ship. And we'll talk a little bit more about our shared programs and shared departures that we do with other organizations a little later. Um, but one thing that's consistent across all our trips is that we want them to be educational, of course. So that is something we do. Um, we want to provide a variety of options in terms of educational trips, and we want to, with all our trips, take the club mission on the road. And that's one of learning about new things, new topics, intellectual exploration, listening to different points of view, and a spirit of thoughtful inquiry and discussion between our participants about what you're experiencing. You all have many options for travel, and most people uh, travel in a variety of ways. You have family trips, you have independent trips that you want to do, maybe a city you want to explore on your own, and then there's some point that you might want to put a group trip into the mix. So tonight we're going to talk about how club travel fits into those decisions. One thing that we do is provide a lot of different opportunities for learning on our trips. So first of all, we have excellent local guides or trip leaders. Our Tour operators know that club travelers ask a lot of questions <laughs> and they need to send a guide who knows how to answer those questions. And I have gone out on many trips where the guide will sit next to me, the tour leader, and say, I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> Your people are asking me things I haven't really thought about. Um, so that that is something that we pride ourselves in is having really great um, tour leaders. The other thing we have is we have lectures throughout the trip. So kind of like a Commonwealth Club uh, experience, you would have guest speakers along the way or a study leader that joins you throughout the trip. And that depends on whether or not we have, uh, if we're traveling to a destination where it's not easy to get guest speakers, let's say you're out in the middle of Mongolia or you're trekking in Bhutan and Nepal and some of those remote places, we can't really find guest speakers. Um, so we might have someone that joins the group from beginning to end along the way. Same with uh, our trips to Iran, for example. It's not possible to just get people to pop in and talk to a group of Americans. So we'll send somebody on a trip like that. Uh, another thing we do is we encourage discussion. We encourage discussion as if you are at a Commonwealth Club event. Ask questions. Talk amongst yourself. Uh, talk about the topics, you know, at dinner. Um, that's 
a spirit of our trips. And then when possible, we try to add a focus of current events and what's happening in that country today. So we, we want to make sure you see the sites, the things that you want to see, things, uh, the archaeological sites, the, the places of historical significance. But without some element of current event, current events and what people are really thinking about in that country, you really lose relevance. You, you lose a chance at connection and really understanding the world better. So on any trip, for example, you might have um, an embassy briefing, for example, in Poland to learn about what the U.S. is funding. You know, what initiatives are we funding in that country? Uh, you might visit a contemporary art gallery in Iran. Uh, or meet with students at a university to hear what's important on their minds. So we try to infuse elements of that into our trips. Um, now, I could stand up here and talk about our trips all night, but I thought it would be more interesting for you to actually hear from our travelers uh, about their experiences on club trips. And then there'll be time. I'll ask them some questions, and then there'll be time at the end for you all to ask them questions about what you're thinking. And I've asked them all to be candid and honest. This is not just a commercial for our trips. As we all know, there are great things that happen in travel, and then there are those other things that happen as we're traveling around that are more challenging. Travel comes with it, all kinds of pros and cons and challenges. So they've all agreed to be candid with their responses. So I would like to introduce our panelists up here. I feel like a bit of a game show host. Contestant number one. Um, first, we have Judy Tisdale of San Francisco. Judy was formerly worked in human resources uh, development for Levi Strauss and has been traveling with the club for almost 10 years. She's an active volunteer here as part of the club's membership and marketing committee. Next is Leon Drozd. He moved to San Francisco in 1986 after living in Denver, Washington, D.C., and Texas. He retired a few years ago after 35 years as in-house legal counsel for Chevron Corporation. And prior to law school at the University of Denver, he was chief clerk of the Science and Technology Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. Oh. Leon has traveled to Eastern Europe, the Balkans, Cuba, and is departing in just two weeks mm -hmm. for our trip to Egypt. And uh, Jordan. And Jordan. And Jordan. Uh, Claudia Livingston lives in Berkeley. She is a retired pediatrician, most recently from Children's Hospital in Oakland. She enjoys movies, reading spy and detective novels, and keeping abreast of the news. She has done a lot of traveling as well as lived abroad. She will be taking her fifth trip with the club to Antarctica in early 2020. Madhu Mehta is a retired engineer who currently spends his time enjoying his grandkids, reading and playing bridge. He and his wife, Pragna, live in Foster City and have taken four trips with us, most recently to Japan. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. Okay, so uh, as I mentioned, one of the reasons people take our trips or take any group trip is you want someone to explain what you're seeing. You want, if you just go on your own, you can do okay. You can figure some things out with your guidebook as you go along, but really having an experienced guide or tour leader adds so much to the experience. So I'm, um, I'd like to ask a couple of you to pick a trip and share your thoughts about your main tour guide you had on the trip. Um, Madhu, maybe we should start with you since you just got back from Japan. I'm not even sure you're over your jet lag just yet. <laughs> well, just um, yesterday. <laughs> just yesterday you slept through the night? Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about your recent experience. So uh, in Japan, we had... Um, Akisan, who was our tour guide, and he was he was really amazing in that he told us about his own personal background. He told us about all, he knew the history and the cultural part, of course, about the sites we went to see, and uh, he was uh, act, even afterwards. You know, we met at the bar, and he would. Uh, 
talk to all of us and describe what happens in his own life and what he does otherwise and so on. So he was an excellent guide. We had, and his English was absolutely perfect. We had no trouble understanding. Usually when you're traveling and you have local guides, sometimes the accent is a little difficult to understand. We had absolutely no problem understanding him. So he was an excellent guide. Claudia, what about you? You just mentioned your Australia-New Zealand trip to me. Oh, right. Um, the fellow we had, um, uh, Matt Kay, is uh, from Sydney, and um, he knew everything, of course, about Australia, as well as New Zealand. And um, it... it, it was wonderful that he is an actor and a radio show person. So not only was he brilliant and fun and um, so much fun to be with, he knew a lot of um, tidbits about people. And so, um, yes, he he was... Um, he was incredible. The whole Australia-New Zealand trip was, was wonderful. Um, I highly recommend it. We went, um, we hit uh, the mostly the um, eastern coast. We went to the center, um, to Uluru, the Ayers Rock, and, um, and then in New Zealand. Uh, he, of course, Matt knew the bus driver who took us around, and we got all the information and more. Uh, we went to the very end of the southern island um, and saw the joining of the, it's incredible, the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean mm. at Milf, Mil, Milford, Milford Fjord. Absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Um, so the New Zealand part was, it, it was, it was great. And Matt was terrific. Leon, you traveled on a trip that we did uh, to the Balkans. Right. And that trip was unique in that we had a study leader along. We had Admiral Gary Roughhead, who's the 29th Chief of Naval Operations, and had extensive experience of the geopolitics in the region. Right. As well as, uh, and currently he's on the Hoover Institution faculty. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it was like to travel with him? Well, it was uh, uh, very interesting because of his military background and everywhere we went, uh, we would go to an embassy and uh, a red carpet was rolled out <laughs> for him in the Commonwealth Club. Uh, so uh, and, and we had uh, very substantive briefings wherever we went. Uh, we had very good discussion with him afterward. Uh, dinner and uh, and along the way, um, I, f I found that very informative. Plus, we uh, had the opportunity to ask a few additional questions, you know, about his work and his his role in uh, advising presidents and the Congress and and being an admiral uh, for both Atlantic and Pacific fleets, head of the uh, Naval Academy and 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 so forth. Uh, but it's very interesting. His wife uh, came along as well. And uh, uh, and it was it was a delightful time. Covered several countries and. Uh, um, he was very familiar with the uh, the military history of that area. And, of course, uh, Madeleine Albright was uh, very familiar with what went on there. So there was some club connection uh, because of the Kosovo War uh, back in the uh, 90s. Did you get any off-the-record information from him? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um Judy, uh, you traveled with us to Iran, and mm -hmm. you had a lecture on that one. You had Emily O'Dell, as well as your guide that was along with you, who was, I know, um, done a lot of trips with us. Yes. Talk a little bit about what it was like to travel to Iran and that, and who was with you on that trip. Um, just bottom line, I've always wanted to go to Iran. I don't know that I'd want to go now, but mm. uh, I'm so glad I went. And uh, gosh, you know, I've been on so many trips. They all kind of become one in the sense of the kind of, <laughs> kind of stewardship we get from the club. Uh, but 
I can remember actually going to yet again to see another old structure where we would see what the the architecture was at a certain given time. And it was we were in a long grassy area where we had to walk all the way down this grassy area and then go into the structure and learn about it, et cetera. I got that. I got about halfway with my friends, and all of a sudden I went, my purse. I do not have my purse, which I had settled down at a, at a, at a place that you could sit down in the middle of this grassy thing. I shot out of there and was talking, you know, sort of running, walking, thinking, It'll, I'll never find it. And there were about three or four young Iranian teenage ki- kids that were volubly talking with one another and having a great time. When I can't, I, I had so much energy going there, and I went, oh, "That's mine!" And they all went in unison. We're so glad we didn't know whose it was. And I, of course, fell in love with Iranian kids, thinking they <laughs> are perfect human beings. I, I, I had wanted to go for so long. So I guess the bottom line, I would just <clears throat> tell any of you that are considering it, it just never disappointed, never disappointed. And the people, the people were terrific. The kids were terrific. We'd be going stuff, and these little boys would go by. Do you remember? Did, did you ever seeing them all in their little brown short pants and white crisp shirts? And they're all well behaved. So what? I don't know why we get afraid of this country because it's full of some really, in, oh, and intelligent people with a tremendous history. So I would really encourage you to go if you get a chance. And it's such an it's, honor and being, and, and, and we're so, we're, we don't think of ourselves as newbies, but we're really newbies out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just felt I was in the, in, in very good hands. Yeah. We have been offering trips to Iran for the last several years right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit low on people's interest level or they're just being cautious about it, but I'm hopeful that we will continue. We have a trip planned in 2020. We would love to have a group go. It's still very, very safe for tourists to go. Um, and everyone who has gone has felt safe and has felt that they were in not in any danger in, in being there and very, very surprised at how welcoming and kind the people there are to people from the United States. Um, I, I have an experience of walking around. I had a free t- little bit of free time in a market and walked, was walking through the bazaar and an older shopkeeper just said to me, where are you from? And I said, I'm from the United States. And he came out from behind his booth. He came and he took both of my hands and said, you are most welcome here. Oh, and it was just one of those moments that I'll, I'll never forget in my life. It was so, so, um, Kind and it really makes you realize that there's just people in this world, and, and their food's fabulous. <laughs> food is fabulous. It's healthy. It's yeah. It's great. Um, so with all our trips, they're you know they're they're different. And when you want to sign up for a trip, call us and we'll talk you through how each how each one is different. Some of them we have very high profile speakers. Some you might be traveling with someone like Admiral Roughhead. Other ones, you're hiking and doing, you know, hiking through Spain, doing the Camino de Santiago. And that's a different, completely different type of trip. But we do have some that I want to mention for 2020, where we do have some very high profile speakers. So we've got our Baltic Sea trip that we have done every, about every other year. And in 2020, we'll have a team of lecturers on board. This is one of those shared departures where we're on with a lot of educational groups, and they'll send maybe professors from that university. But then we also have the former president of Poland, Lech Walesa, who will be speaking to the group. And also uh, somebody we haven't had before, see if I can pronounce this, Pavel Palashenko, who was the interpretive interpreter for Gorbachev and the Soviet uh, foreign minister, mm. Edward Shevardnadze. So if you see any of the footage from that time, he's always there. And he's written a book about his time uh, translating for all of these people in Russia. So that's that's one trip where you really get a chance to meet some pretty fascinating people. And then we have another trip. It's a, it's a Danube trip, and it's a global symposium trip. And we've done different variations of the Danube, but this is a a different kind of trip. Um, 
very high end. It's on a crystal ship. It's on the crystal Mahler. And we'll have a talk from David Cameron, former prime minister of um, the UK, as well as uh, traveling with the group will be historian and author Doris Kearns Goodwin, who, you know, wrote the great book, The Team of Rivals, about Lincoln and his his team. And she'll actually be on the ship and traveling with the group. And then the Commonwealth Club will have our a study leader as well that we're sending, um, Elizabeth Sherwood Randall. She was the former White House National Security Council um, Senior Director of European Affairs. So she's going to be speaking and representing the club on that trip. And again, that's one that will have several different educational groups. So it, that one's probably our priciest trip that we've offered in a while, but <laughs> because right. of the level of the ship and the Just speakers and all of those people on, um, that is a pretty exciting travel opportunity. Uh, as I mentioned, something we do is if, if we can, if we're in larger cities, we do embassy briefings and people mm-hmm. would wonder, well, why the heck would you want to go to an embassy? You know, that doesn't sound that interesting, but all of you and me, we're all paying for our embassies. We're paying for our foreign service staff and the projects that they're working on overseas. And it typically is pretty interesting to learn about what we're funding and why and to learn about the relationships with our countries. So we try to go and visit those uh, the embassies around the world. I don't know if any of you up here recall a briefing that you went to or something that you learned that you'd like to share about one of your trips. I don't know. You just had one in Tokyo, right, Madhu? Uh, yeah, I'm not the, really the right guy to ask <laughs> because uh, we skipped it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Also, uh, we we went to the one, the very first one in uh, Eastern Europe that we went to. We mm-hmm. went to the embassy in Budapest, and uh, I came away uh, not impressed. To be quite honest, it was more a bureaucratic presentation, you know, saying the right things and so on. So I was, I, I had that sort of a thing in the back of my mind. So when this Tokyo one came up, uh, we decided to do something else, and we skipped the trip. Fair enough. Anyone else who did go? Oh, I've been to one. Uh, yes, it, it, it was good, actually. I was... Um, I, I, I was interested in, first you have to give up your passport and then you have to wait in line and you have to do this yes. and you have to do this and you feel as though you're going to go to prison or you have to protect, you know, my God, you know, United States citizens, you know, what's the problem here? And this ha- happened also in India, but the one that I remember best was in Sydney and um, it turned out that... Uh, we had some very interesting people on our trip, several professors from Stanford and other places, a physicist and a whatever. And we had really a good discussion with our ambassador there. We were asking about educational programs um, uh, for Australians in the, in the United States and vice versa. And um, she was peppered with a lot of questions. So I feel that they are really presenting the United States and offering um, opportunities for their host country to come here to learn. So it was um, what impressed me was it was bringing people together. So it was it was good. Thank you. Some of our trips also that we've been doing um, focus more on meeting people than necessarily the destinations. And a couple unique trips that we have in 2020 is a trip to the American South. It's understanding the civil rights movement. Mm. And then we'll have one in the spring, in the fall, that will go to the Dakotas and Colorado. That's about the Native American communities, and it's called Native American Voices. And those trips, while you do go to particular sites, for example, in the south, we go to Selma and we walk across the bridge. We go to Little Rock High School where um, the school integration was taking place. We we visit the church uh, of the bombing in Birmingham of the four with the four little girls that died. Um, but really, the focus on those trips are meeting people and getting an understanding for certain things. So that's that's also a unique kind of trip. Um, 
Madhu, maybe you can talk a little bit. You did take our civil rights trip, oh, absolutely. And, and and we'll be doing another one again in the in the spring. We do still have space on that one. What what stands out in your memory from the people we met with? So, uh, of the four trips I've taken, the two that really stand out are <clears throat> the civil rights one and the one I took to Bhutan. But on the civil rights one, uh, meeting the people who actually participated in the movement itself was an amazing experience. We met Elizabeth Eckford. She was the girl who's pictured in a very iconic photograph where she's trying to walk into Little Rock High School Mm -hmm. and there are these girls at the back screaming at her. Uh, So we met her. We met uh, Carolyn McKinstry, she was the one who was at the church when the bombing took place and some of her friends died in it. So, and then we, one that was a big surprise was uh, we met a ex-KKK guy, a guy who worked in the Ku Klux Klan, and uh, uh, actually Judge Cordell interviewed him, and uh, it was a it was an amazing experience. So these are just three of them. There was a lady we also met who did the march to Selma. And uh, those, just that whole educational experience, it's, it's not like the Bhutan trip where you're going for the natural duty and all that sort of stuff. But over here it was getting educated really and to meeting all these people and hearing their experiences. And it was really, and I would strongly suggest that all of you go take that trip. No matter how much you know about the movement and the civil rights movement, it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to meet the people and actually see what they went through. Thank you. That that trip, we did have, uh, instead of a discussion leader or lecturer, we had, I mean, instead of a study leader or lecturer, we had a discussion leader. And so we had Judge Lodoris Cordell, who was on, who facilitated discussions every couple days with the group and then with the speakers. And this trip coming up, it's uh, Dana King. She's the discussion leader on the trip, and she was a former journalist and uh, news anchor here in the Bay Area. She also is an artist. She left being a journalist and she is a sculptor and she actually has one of her sculptures is at the Peace and Justice Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama. Hmm. So that that new memorial, which is really uh, phenomenal, whether you go on our trip or not, I, I highly recommend going to that memorial. To me, it's a, it's on par with the, the Vietnam Memorial in D.C. It's that powerfully moving. Um, so it's it's definitely worth seeing. And then, again, we'll have a, a trip, Native American voices, and we'll spend time with people at Standing Rock, uh, members of the, the Sioux Nation at Standing Rock, uh, people at Pine Ridge. And, and then we'll also have time with more urban Native American communities in Denver and Durango, Colorado, too. So a big education. There's, you know, even as I read through the material and proposals for this trip, there's just so much we don't know about what's happened in that story in our country. And it's time that we reckon with what, what has taken place. Can I ask a quick question? The program like this with like uh, civil rights uh, in Dakotas, do you, who does the research uh, puts the program together? So for those two trips, we have a particular tour operator that we've worked with who is uh, a, a woman who's down in Southern California, and she's just um, she does our trips to Iran. Um, so that's the the tour provider for that one, and she really just dove in and knew that she wanted to put together trips that had high social impact. And also she uh, actually goes out there and has researched the area, gone to specific places, like the place where we even ate at. She had gone and researched the people who owned it and so on. So she's, Janet was her name, she was an amazing uh, tour guide and had done a lot of research to put this whole trip together. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program. 
So the other, we're, we're talking mostly about land programs. So I just want to touch a little bit on cruises and expeditions. How many people in this room have done a cruise or, okay. So I know there's people that will say, I'll never do a cruise. I'm not a cruiser. I'm not a cruiser. And I always, you know, tell them that the positive thing, of course, is that you never have to pack and unpack you. You're there. You've <laughs> got it the whole time. And, um, and you, have an easy way of getting around. You save a lot of time. We do a variety of cruises. We do some luxury cruises. We do river cruises. We do expeditions to the Arctic, Antarctica. So there's a good variety and a good variety of ships. Um, some are more high-end French ships and some are more basic trips to the Arctic. Um, and so I, again, always ask what level of service you want and standards of any ship. But um, with all of our cruises, a typical group on board from the Commonwealth Club might be 10 to 20 people. So we are one of many groups on board, and then we share it. So let's say we're on board with Smithsonian Journeys, Harvard, Duke, uh, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, for example. Those are just some partners that we might be on a ship with. And really, once on board, everyone's one group. But we have different activities. So we'll have dinners or a cocktail party for Commonwealth Club members so that you get to know each other better while you're on board. But you're all socializing together. We share the same educational program. The lectures and all of that is is um, is all together. So, uh, Claudia, yes. you've traveled on our Ancient Empires cruise, yes. a river cruise, and now you're heading out to Antarctica. Uh, what have you experienced in terms of the shared cruise experience? What did you enjoy? What did you maybe not enjoy? Or what do you think is different about that experience? I'm not a cruise person at all. I, don't, I'm not, no, I, I have been on um, transatlantic trips. I'm from England, and we used to come over to the United States to visit my grandparents. But um, this cruise was uh, one you described with other um, groups about, such as the Smithsonian and um, it was Penn University of Pennsylvania. So our group was small, but uh, it's wonderful to be able to put your clothes away and, and not have to worry about them very much. So we went from Malta, which was gorgeous. I had no idea that Malta was going to be so <coughs> interesting. Um, to, from then to Sicily and then the um, Amalfi Coast up mm -hmm. to Rome, and it was uh, it was a very good trip. I would like to do that again. I certainly wanted to go to Malta. But I found, as you say, the groups got together. We um, met people from the, the Smithsonian, from Penn, and um, we were all there for the same reason, to learn about the countries that we're going to. And it was, it was fun. Hmm. I'd do it again. <laughs> um, so many of you travel you know, with friends or spouses. And then there's also times where you're traveling on your own. Maybe your spouse doesn't want to go somewhere or you don't have a friend to do a particular trip. Uh, Judy, I know you've done trips with friends. You've traveled with friends and you've also gone alone. Leon as well, Claudia. Mm -hmm. What is it like to be on a club trip on your own? Uh, I, I guess I should say no. It's 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 fine. You know, I'm pretty convivial. I like being around people and like talking to people. I was talking up Leon, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always found it just a very uh, it's always very welcoming kind of environment. And I think that the people from the club and or anybody there in a support capacity tends to keep their eye out for somebody that is not kind of really mingling with the other people and make it easier for people that are shyer. And somebody like me that would you know help them so that they could integrate. So um, this is from my perspective. I can't imagine missing a trip just because you didn't have somebody that you wanted to travel with. Uh, so I would encourage you. You'll, you'll meet new puppies, buddies. I promise. <laughs> 
I agree with you. Yes. I, I had traveled with a woman who was in my medical school class. And, uh, and we, in fact, we did the ancient empires trip together. And she didn't want to go to oh, wherever it was, the South Africa trip. And uh, as it turned out, I was alone. I was had my own room and I traveled about I I am still friends with a couple who were on that trip. We just uh, went to a, a jazz concert on Saturday night, and and um, and you you do meet somebody on the on the uh, another trip. I used to, on the Australia New Zealand trip. I, there was a woman um, who was so much fun. She was from New York. Now, we were leaving from San Francisco, and she came and met us um, in Australia, and she and I were not inseparable, but it was it was wonderful, and we I've seen pictures of her grandchildren, and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it, th- those people are out there. I would, and it was fun. You know, and I would just add that my feeling about all the trips I've been on, that the Commonwealth Club travelers themselves are really welcoming to other people. And, you know, I can't imagine somebody getting lost on their own mm-hmm. I, I, in all my experience. Yeah. Leon, do you have anything to add? Well, I've, I've traveled on my own on all of the trips I've taken. And uh, I've had no problem uh, meeting people and uh, sharing experiences. And uh, many, uh, we continue to be friends after the trip and run into each other here at the, the club, attending various events. And uh, you, you, uh, oops, sorry. Uh, it, uh, it, it's, it's just been very interesting and, and enriching to the whole trip to have someone else to uh, share observations with. And for me, traveling alone, I sort of, I mean, I during my career, uh, I would take trips on my own occasionally or with other people or business travel, lots of business travel. But this is totally different. And this is uh, kind of an opportunity to indulge in, in learning and for me doing things I didn't get to do. Uh, the years that I was working, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. namely uh, learning about the places that I'm going to and about their culture and their history. And, you know, for example, going to Cuba and going to Vinales Valley and learning about dance and the history and finance and what's going on in Cuba, going to the embassy in Cuba, that that kind of thing. It was just it was something you you bond and you share with all the people you're on the trip with and uh, makes it very memorable. So you all mentioned a little bit about the social elements for uh, on our trips, but we do do things that I don't think most groups do. We do have pre-trip gatherings. So 90% of the travelers live in the Bay area and we have a permanent space here. So we get everyone together about two weeks before departure as you've got your materials to meet just kind of a little bit of an icebreaker and to get excited for the trip. I always find it's a little nicer to meet everybody when you're on your time zone and, you know, you've got your best foot forward than when you've just got off a 14 hour flight. Uh, it's very hard to make a fabulous first impression when you arrive at the airport and are looking for your luggage. Um, but we do that. And then we, you know, we try to keep you all in touch after the trip. You know, we share email addresses and photos, um, and do encourage you to stay in touch through coming to club events. So I think there, there is a, there's more opportunity for making new friends. And typically after trips, we have trip reunions or we have events here at the club. I don't know if anybody else wants to chime in about friendships that you've made through trips or people you've stayed in touch with. Well, we uh, f- traveled with uh, one couple on two trips and uh, we just had lunch with them a couple of days ago before they went on to uh, listen to Susan Rice. And we visited them in Napa, and uh, we've gone to see another lady up in Rutherford, and, and it's it was fun to see them again. And yeah, we've we've kept in touch with a few people. Great, yeah. Uh, we had a, a, a post 
party uh, from our India trip. We had a great party uh, hmm, yeah. down in Saratoga. And hmm. then, yeah, it, it was good. <laughs> well, so why and don't we in- now, um, we can take some questions from the audience. Um, um, I wanted to ask, oh, when you're on a I ship and you are with other could. groups, yeah. do you share subject matter experts? So if Smithsonian have someone, you can go to their lectures or their information. So yes, on our on our cruises, they're open to everybody. There's no private lectures. Everybody that sends a speaker will have the lectures that are open to all. So it's not we're not separated. Every once in a while, you'll have a group. We just had, for example, a trip where University of Wisconsin was on, and their group went off and met some alumni in town. They might have little things like that that come up, but typically it's all together. We share the lectures. So that's the, the strength of being on with a lot of different groups is you might get an art historian from the Smithsonian, a political scientist from MIT, you know, and, and so then you've got more of a comprehensive look and you can pick and choose what lectures you go to. So yeah, they're open to everybody. I have another question. Um, other than the, uh, civil rights and and voices of the natives or the that one um how much of your philosophy is to have the group get to know people who live in a country actually hmm. intermingle or visit their homes or do any of that mm-hmm. it depends on which which trip i mean i i see a, a great value with that we don't have home visits as a standard part of all our trips or um, it, it's not a requirement. Each trip really varies. Some people really like that. They like those kind of those kind of connections. I personally think it's incredibly valuable. And that's why we try to have local speakers come meet with the group that we want to have local people talk to the to the group. It's even if it's not a university professor, it's a level of understanding that you'll get from a local perspective that I think is really important. So it is part of the ethos, but it doesn't always happen. And I'm happy to talk through each trip because some people, that's the only kind of travel they want to do. And then we can make sure that we get the right trip for you. I'm interested in the uh, speaker who said he also went to Bhutan. Uh, on the Bhutan trip, it sounds like an adventure China trip. Is it have it has rafting, for example, and it did have other long hikes and things of that nature. So the trip I took, uh, rafting wasn't part of it, but what we we had yes, a lot of hiking to do. And one one thing that is very memorable for my trip was hiking up to the Tiger's Nest Monastery, which. Uh, I think starts in the parking lot at around uh, 8,500 feet and goes all the way up to oh. about 10,500 feet. So you don't do it on the first day you arrive there. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> Michael had planned it in such a way that we did some practice hikes ahead of time. And uh, we were surprised. Well, I was the one who was last. <laughs> no, Ma, there was a couple of other people too. But anyway, uh, they were very patient. There's always somebody at the back and there is somebody in the front. And so nobody gets left behind. But it was an excellent hike. And uh, um, that's one of the most memorable things that I did over there was go ahead, climb up to the Tiger's Nest Monastery. We so, were on our, on our own to visit to Bhutan. And we did the same trip to Tiger's Nest. And a uh, guy, guy told Rosemary... You can't go there. It's too too tough for her. And she said, well, come all the way here. I'm going to miss it. So what we did, we hired two horses, you know, yeah. from the place. Yeah, yeah. And horses go halfway. Yeah, up to the tea, yeah. Up to the tea. And then it was too treacherous even for the horses. So we got off the horses, Rosemary, and she made all the way to the final 250 steps. Right. steps. <laughs> 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 to the sanctuary. <laughs> And uh, and then, of course, we walked back, and round trip for us, they said normally take four and a half hours for the people who are, you know, healthy and young. We took eight hours, but we made it. Uh, it took me six. We made it. <laughs> and so- uh, the story behind the tiger's nest is that uh, that's the Bhutan is a country which is a 
modern country until 1960, there was only one road. There was no post offices. There was no bank. There was nothing until 1960. And today, there are five-star hotels. There's internet. There's everything there. But yet, the country has very strong history of mythological. They believe in all kinds of spirits. And it's absolutely it's fascinating. <laughs> I'll recommend to anybody who wants to go there. And they have invented... Yeah. We will, we will be going back to Bhutan and Nepal in, uh, 2020. So, um, it will be a slightly different trip, but you will have the opportunity to visit Tiger's Nest. We are, you know, basically each year we'll do one walking trip, if not two. And so those are a little bit more active. They are typically geared for people that hike or do a good amount of walking. The Bhutan Nepal trip was had a lot of culture and temples and cities and so there you didn't have to be necessarily a big hiker to do it. Um but for example, we had a Peru trip last year that was hiking a different part of uh the Inca trails called the Laris Trek. We did a Camino de Santiago walk and the next year we've got one going through the Loire Valley and Dordogne Valley in France. So that should be really nice and you know, it's but but you do want to be a walker. It's not there are other options if you're not somebody who loves walking. Um so any other questions? Could you say a few words about the uh, total solar eclipse tour in, in in Chile? That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, so the eclipse trip in Chile, which uh, the eclipse will happen on December 14th, and we will be starting in Santiago, and then we'll go to the Lake District. It's uh, We'll have two nights at remote uh, tented, a tented camp, <coughs> and that's at uh, Lake Via Rica, and... We've just confirmed our leader on that trip. His, he's an author. His name's David Barron. He wrote a book called The Great, uh, The American Eclipse. And he's been on NPR. He's a science writer. His TED talk about why someone should see a total solar eclipse has been viewed almost two million times. Wow. Uh, and he's just a lover of these eclipse, you know, eclipses. So he's going to be the leader of our trip. If you haven't seen one, I think the next one in the U.S. is in 2024. Um, but if you get a chance to see the one in 2020, it's pretty incredible. We had a group that went up to Salem to see the eclipse in uh, yeah. 2017. And it's it's not quite like a partial one. Has anyone seen a total solar eclipse? Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I was, I was in Good number. I was in Bali. Uh, so, there, you know, we will see... Some of Chile, but the real reason for going down there, of course, is for the eclipse. You uh, post the, or you, this is for 2020, so you post on like on the website. Mm-hmm. How far in advance about a trip? Because what I have, what it seems like is one has to sign up or put a deposit for a trip very early in order to be able to go on the trip. First. Especially- yeah, for some, and especially like single rooms are often, they, they go quickly. So if you're interested in a trip, shoot us an email and tell us which one you're interested in. And then we put your name on, we'll have a list of prospects of people who are really interested in a trip so that we notify you by email right away as soon as the trip becomes, uh, the brochure is final. We try not to take deposits on trips before we actually know the exact cost and exact you know, itinerary so you know what you're agreeing to. But we do take, you know, names of people that are interested in any trip ahead of time. So for our panelists, um, I just thought maybe we could close with you talking about a particular memory of a trip or a story that you have that sticks with you about why you choose to go on a Commonwealth Clip trip. Um, there are a lot of options. There are a lot of other, there are educational trips out there. But to give people a sense of what it's like, um, and maybe a, a particular travel memory that you want to, to share. I'm so glad. What a great lead-in. I'm going to show you something. Show and tell. <laughs> um, 
anyway, I should get to this. Uh, I am just not a walker. I don't like walking. <laughs> I mean, I'm mobile, but I don't. So, uh, you know, what I have, uh, the fact that I've enjoyed all the trips that I have means that there are good people that I can always find kind of like, like minds, et cetera. So I would just encourage any of you that haven't tried it before, at least from my experience, and I say this really to be quite honest, it's flawless. Everything is thought about. Everything is thought about. So you can go and enjoy yourself and not have to worry about where you are at any given moment. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so let, let me let me talk about this. And this is about being in the desert. And I was on the trip. This was to Morocco. And I remember hearing the leader say, to, you know, tomorrow we're going to get uh, camels and we're going to go out into the desert. you got to understand, I'm very urban, right? And I'm thinking... This sounds perfectly vile. Why would I? Why would I want to do that? And so I kind of went. Yeah, I was glad my friends were going, but I didn't think I would go, etc. And finally, they kind of not dragged me, but they said, "Come on, Judy. How, how often have you, you know you've been to this desert? Never, you know, try it." Uh, so the interesting thing is that I, I fell in love with the desert. I fell in love with the here. Can you even see it? I'll throw, throw it around. We went and all what you you get your own camel, right? And I was on the camel, and I thought, oh, this is so touristy. Everybody's on a camel, <clears throat> and the the young men that are that handle the the, the uh, animals carry carry you out like this across the desert, and everybody's in a, in a row, right? And they it, this is a rope that they've got around in some way the the the, the animal. Why I'm showing you this is that I am going, and everybody knows that I, was, that I didn't want to go in the first place, et cetera. But anyway, they're kind of seeing how I'm liking it. And I said, look at that. Yeah, look, see, et cetera. And kind of all the perked up the women on the, on the t- trip. Uh, because as you can tell, he's, he, he happens to be a handsome man. But more about, look at the coloring of, of, his, of his hairdress, et cetera. And... Just to be out in this beautiful, and it also made me actually pay attention to the desert. And I, you know, I'm from LA. I know the desert. I know about them, but this was a whole different kind of thing, where I could actually feel very blessed to be on the trip and be there at the at the at the right time. So that's my trip. Thank you. I guess I have reflections of mostly of my two trips with the Commonwealth Club to Eastern Europe, uh, which uh, had Eva Voisin uh, on the trip. She's the honorary consul general to Hungary. And uh, the tour guides on those trips were were very knowledgeable and with us the ent- entire way. And uh, my, uh, for me, my, uh, uh, I grew up uh, knowing my grandparents and great-grandparents on my father's side who were Czech. And uh, so there's all this family history there that has, was kind of a, a fog. And I had some charts and so forth. But I got on this trip. Everything was so well organized, planned out. We started in Poland. I started getting a, a bit of understanding of of the tribes that must have lived on those lands at one point in time, how they all kind of came together and a country was formed. And uh, then, you know, you go to another country, uh, uh, Slovakia, and then to Austria and Hungary, and then wound up in uh, uh, the Czech Republic. And uh, for me, it was a, a constant it started out with this Poland experience and then going through, and I was gradually seeing all of this family mm. connection mm. that that I knew from a from childhood and uh you know from the food, the culture et cetera and it was uh it was just very special for me and and you know as far as a uh anything specific. Uh, I, I can't think of anything specific other than just just lots of nice, quiet moments of reflection uh, on people who walk there, my, my ancestors, and, uh, you know, what their lives must have been like and, uh, you know, how it all just kind of comes together and what we have today. 
Thank you. Claudia. I, I've had so, so much fun on all of these trips, but the one that comes to mind, um, talk about being out of your comfort zone. We, uh, at the end of the South African uh, trip, we went to four different countries. It was wonderful. Uh, Zimbabwe, Botswana, um, South Africa, and Namib- uh, Namibia. Right. But at the end of the trip, we went to, there were several of us who went to um, a game reserve because we wanted to see the animals. And, and, and there was a night trip that we did. We had uh, the, our, our guide, a young South African young man who had, um, he was very good friends with um, a native. Uh, and they, one was the, the guide and the other one was the scout and they, they would talk back and forth in their, the tribal language. Well, we went out at night and we heard that there was a cheetah and the, the, our guide was just so excited because he's a cat man. He said he really wanted to see this cheetah. But we ha- they, there was a female who was hunting at night. This is when they hunt. So we all got bundled up and got into the jeep. And this man was so determined to find this cheetah. There are several uh jeeps that went out and they were all over and they were talking to each other back and forth when a cheetah when the cheetah was um uh sighted how we could all see her anyway so he said are you all ready for a ride and he said hang on and we had to hang on to the bars and he went down and up and down and up and I was I loved it I love roller coasters so what can you say but it's, it was at night and it was so excited I mean I just get all excited just thinking about it and we did see the cheetah she was absolutely gorgeous and he was very happy so and I am too oh yes yeah no that was that was a highlight <laughs> I just wanted to mention something a little bit off what these people have described. When we were in Bhutan, there was a flight that we were supposed to take back, and this is where Commonwealth Club did what it did. We had a flight, three of us had registered late, so the three of us were booked on a separate flight. And our flight basically got cancelled because of weather conditions. But we had to make it to Paro. Otherwise, we would miss the connecting flight to Kathmandu. So Michael went out and he arranged to rent a car because there was no way we could get on the next flight because that was already booked out and there was all these other people who were bumped off this flight. So Michael went out and got us a rental car, put three of the three of us in that car, and we drove all the way. And we were there, got a hotel room for us to spend the night. And the next morning, you know, we were there to be able to catch that. Otherwise, I don't know how many days later we would have uh, arrived. So that sort of a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. When we also went to the trip to uh, East Europe, uh, our flight to Warsaw was a nonstop flight. Well, the plane turned back and ended up in Chicago because there was a problem with flight. Del- there was a problem, mechanical problem on the plane. And Eva was there, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And she made sure that when we got to uh, Frankfurt, I think it was, that all our connections and all were made and that everybody was taken care of. So that's something that, you know, Commonwealth Club has done for us. So uh, we have some staff here that I want to introduce because they've been referenced a couple times. But on, on club trips, most of the times we do try to send someone from our office on staff here to go just to make thing, make sure things go well, that you're taken care of and to assist with the tour manager there. Depends on the size of the group. It depends on the particular trip, but usually we do. And so as Madhu was mentioning a few times, referen- referencing to Michael, Michael Steigerwald back there. He's in our travel department. He's gone out on our walking trips, our Camino de Santiago, our Mont Blanc trip, the Bhutan trip. And then we've got Anna Alanis over there, who's just yeah. returned from Japan, and Kate Steffi, who is heading out in a couple weeks to Egypt. So, uh, you know, you'll get to know people on staff here at the club, too, if you are out traveling with us. And I've traveled with some of you here in the room, and that's been uh, great fun. Uh, so... 
We are going to have a little reception in the library here. So you've got time. You can have some snacks and wine and talk to any of our panelists or our staff or myself if there are any trips you're interested in. Like I said, we want to make sure anytime you're interested in a trip that you, you know, we'll talk through it with you. We want to make sure that you're happy on a trip. I'm not interested in getting somebody out on a trip that's not really right for them. That's, that, that's not what travel's about. And, uh, we hope that we have a lot of variety and options for all of you. And that if you haven't traveled with us, that you would consider it. Uh, I really do believe I've traveled with different groups. I've been in the travel industry over 20 years. And I think Commonwealth Club groups really, really are special. Everybody who's a part of the Commonwealth Club is an opt-in. You've made a conscious choice to be part of an organization like the Commonwealth Club. So the people are interesting and they're interested in learning. And uh, I think that makes for unique groups. Everyone adds their careers, their life experiences to the mix. And the travel group becomes this organic thing of what you're experiencing along the way. No group is the same because of all the elements that come to be part of it. So I encourage you to, to join us and uh, take our spirit on the road. So thank you all for coming.